Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 752 with Patrick Martin. The big things take you off course because you didn't mind the little things. I'm not saying the big things don't matter, but I don't pay attention to, you know, if one of my crew uh, wrecks a catering van or messes up a piece of equipment, I don't care about that. If if you serve my food in a way that I didn't, that's not the way I want it served, that's, that's where it's a problem. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And Seven Shifts is trusted by over 400,000 restaurant professionals because it gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable that's the number seven s-h-i-f-t-s dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free what are you doing right now i'll tell you what you're doing if you're in the market for a new pos you're headed to toasttab.com slash unstoppable to set up your own demo and you're going to find out why it's the most recommended pos on the show by a landslide guys if you use my link not only will you get the incentives that toast is offering you by using the link I'll also share my commission with you. I'll split my commission with you 50-50 after taxes. That's about $2,000. So I'll send you a check for $1,000 to say thank you and to help support you during these weird times. Again, head over to toasttab.com slash unstoppable. What's going on? Unstoppables. So a few weeks back, I had a road trip to Texas uh, from New Hampshire to Texas and back. And we had the opportunity to stop in Nashville, Tennessee for a couple of interviews. And one of those interviews was Pat Martin from Martin's Barbecue Joint. And Pat is the like pit master and founder of Martin's Barbecue Joint. And now he's got over 25 years of barbecue experience, or he had over 25 years of barbecue experience before opening his joint back in 2006. And um, what I love about his story is it's just so obvious that Pat had a passion for barbecue. And even before he opened his restaurant, he was just the guy who was doing whole hog, whole hog barbecue, whether it was for work or friends. He was just he just loves making people happy with barbecue and he chose, he chose to make it his dream. And you can tell in the interview that he had no idea what he was doing as far as running his business in the early days, but he just showed up every day uh, looking to learn a little bit more, uh, finding mentors, learning from these mentors and just slowly growing, slowly fine tuning the systems and processes and investing in his people and growing his people and sharing his, his knowledge and wisdom of being a pit master with the next generation of barbecue pit masters. And this is what I love. I love seeing this stuff in, in our content when people pay it forward, when they, when they, you know, start with little or no experience in the industry and create these empires uh, and are just, are the best at what they do. So it just proves that you don't have to be a master to get started. Every master who was once a disaster is a saying I love to say. But fast forward to current times, uh, 2020, Martins has scaled to 10 locations in Nashville, Louisville, 
uh, Birmingham, Alabama, in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. They're they're scaling to ten locations, and I, I just you know there's tons of great advice in this episode. I really hope you guys enjoy it. Here it is. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Patrick Martin. Are you feeling unstoppable today? Unstoppable. <laughs> yeah, 100%. man. You had an accident recently. Yeah, I almost fell on a vat of grapes. Oh, my. Out in Sonoma. How long ago was that? It'd be two weeks this Friday. I cracked a couple ribs and, and bruised my spleen. And you're here this morning, man. I cannot say thank you enough. I can, I can, I can see that you're still in pain. I just, want, I just can't say thank you enough for taking the no, time I'm, to join I'm us this happy morning. To be here. So uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. So we're talking to Patrick Martin. He is the founder and pitmaster at Martin's Barbecue Joint. Uh, and I cannot wait to dive into your story. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a, a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Um. The I tell all my guys that um, a lot of people get caught up worrying about the big things, and um, it's it really is not about that. It's about the little things. So every day, if you approach your life and restaurant and dotting every I and crossing every T, uh, the big things take care of themselves. So the details, um, being super anal on the details, is what matters uh, to success. You, what is your trick for staying focused on the little things and not letting the big things kind of take you off course? Uh, well, just cause, like I said, because the big things take you off course cause you didn't mind the little things. Yeah. So I'm not saying the big things don't matter, but I don't pay attention to, you know, I, I, I care about if, uh, if one of my crew, uh, wrecks a catering van or, you know, messes it's- up piece of equipment. I don't care about that. If, if you, uh, you know, serve my food in a way that I didn't, that's not the way I want it served, that's that's where it's a problem. The yeah. straw wrapper on the floor way over there that the kid tore off and it's under the under the chair. And you just walk past it. And and an employee walks past it, that's the problem. Yeah. That's the that's the stuff that's systemic cancer that begins to form. That's culture. That's reality. That's I mean, culture. That's yeah, reality. Absolutely. I love it, man. A great way to get this thing started. Uh where does it make sense to start sharing your story? I know that you didn't get right into the restaurant industry. I actually love when I have people on the show that don't have twenty years of experience working in restaurants before opening their own restaurant because you get that clean slate that new perspective and you do things differently you don't have yeah, the bad i'm glad habits, right? that's 100 percent. well it's not about i mean it is about bad habits or good habits i suppose um but i real barbecue joints run out and in the restaurant business every i learned this after opening as i started hiring people from other restaurants is that there's a mantra out there to never run out of food because you're going to miss a sale Mm. and that's not that's not what real barbecue joints do and so um i um cook so much every day and and that's it i mean make everything every day the freaking salad dressings on our few salads that we have i mean everything you know so i don't buy anything in i don't have a freezer i don't have a microwave in any store um so it's it, that was the biggest thing. If I had worked in the restaurant business, that probably would have been beating my head, and I probably would have ended up, unbeknownst to myself, bastardizing my right. own brand. Exactly you know, because I would have. That's what have how I would have been taught. Right. You know. So when did you get into barbecue? How did you end up in 2006 opening Martin's? Barbecue so way show? back, um, I was like a lot of boys. I had very strong john wayne-esque men in my family my uncles my granddads and all that and they they changed their own oil and we didn't have gas grills we uh 
had a chimney starter and uh, our family's from Carnarth, Mississippi, right in the northeast corner. And, and I think they use those chimney starters, if I'm not mistaken, because the guy that's got the patent on them is from Carnarth. I, I remember <laughs> my granddad, my Paul King, telling me that. Loyalty. But whether that's truth or not, I, I mean, he wasn't a liar, but I think I remember that right. But anyway, um, so I, I really – I remember the first time my dad asked me to light the fire on the grill. My family were not barbecue people, but we ate a lot of barbecue. I was born in Memphis. Okay. And um, our family farm is 60-odd miles from Memphis. Uh, we left Memphis when I was little uh, and moved up to uh, – my dad took a job in New York. So we would come home every summer and all the – in the fall, uh, we got a lot – you know, all the Yom Kippur and all the like three- and four-day weekend holidays. And then, of course, Christmas, we would come home for the whole time. And so um, then my granddad died in, uh, when I was right after going into high school and we ended up moving home So d- during high school. So it was an easy transition because I already had all my friends. All my friends' dads graduated with my dad from high school. And so uh, it was it – was, actually pretty smooth and um i just was cooking you know when dad had me light that fire it was a big deal to me it was like i'm giving you this responsibility and that's the thing as i've thought about my life just going back what really kind of no pun intended lit the fire uh was was that time on the deck and i bought um the thrill that when i was a freshman or sophomore in high school i bought thrill of the grill by chris schlesinger and don willoughby doc willoughby and, um, you know, going through that book, I was really want, I was really into grilling and trying to grill other things besides burgers and steaks. Cause that's all anybody ever, yeah. met, you know what I'm saying? And there was a chapter in there about, uh, him and his dad cook, Chris's dad, who I've had not had the pleasure of ever meeting. I hope I do one day, but, um, cooking, uh, whole hog in Virginia beach when he was a kid. And so anyway, jump ahead, we moved back home. I graduate high school. I go up. Uh, about 45 minutes north to this little church christ this little christian university and uh i was going to attempt to walk on and play basketball there and uh, because my whole family went to, like the my entire family went to mississippi state okay they're all bulldogs okay and uh, i wanted to go to mississippi state but you know just the hint of being able to maybe keep playing basketball that's what i wanted to do so anyway i went up there and i was close where i could drive home but the first few days I was there, I was like, you know, every week I ate barbecue uh, at least once a week. And I, there were a lot of barbecue joints in this little bitty town. It's in Henderson, Tennessee, in West Tennessee. And um, I remember walking into Thomas and Webb Barbecue, and I, this man was sitting there, and he said, you know, what do you want? And I said, I want a pork sandwich. He asked me where I wanted it from. And I said, I don't, what do you mean? He goes, well, do you want some ham? You want lean meat, uh, fat meat, this, that? And I said, uh, I just, just, you know, right down the middle. <laughs> Slaw, you know. So he turned to the right and lifted up this cardboard. And, I mean, man, behind him was, I mean, there was this hog yeah. by the cash register that he had taken off the pit. And he just pulled it and made the sandwich right in front of you. And you grabbed a bag of chips over here and got a Coke out of the, out of the you know, reach in. But – that blew me away. That really set it in stone. I was like, I have got to learn how to do that. And it was just so big and daunting, like a whole animal, you know, and like, you know, I'd been cooking ribs and all that and shoulders and butts and, um, but a whole hog was it. So anyway, I developed a pretty quick 
uh, pretty quickly a, a deep relationship with Mr. Harold, and he ended up he he is who mentored me, and he so let this me. This is Harold Tom, Tom uh, Thomas you're talking yeah, about Harold. right now, who was at the window, who served you That's that right. day. Yeah, yeah, he was a kind, gentle man. Um, but he would let me come down, and he would answer any question. He had no secrets, which is also something yes. that I've adopted. I think people have secrets or assholes which we'll get into later is like the paying it forward part of it. Yeah. But he was an open book and he shared every single thing with me. He let me hang around the pits and you know, I never got paid. I just worked in there, but see, uh, that is huge. And that is something that restaurant unstoppable hinges on this idea that we're better when we take that knowledge and we pay, we have an obligation. We as society, as hum- humanity, we are do. where we are because of that ability to pay it forward, to share that you information. Do. And unfortunately, in barbecue, there's this big thing like a My Secret Rub or My Secret Sauce. I can tell you right now, it's all crock of crap. It's, ex- it's not. It's, 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 can you execute every care. day? Can I don't you, care. There's yeah, not a like, sauce yeah. recipe or, or a cooking style. Yeah. There's not like... So anyway, um, you know, I cooked my first hog when I was a freshman in college. That was 1990. And, you know, I, me- I remember... My this my roommate was the present son, and they were building a new gym, and he stole the bricks from the new bricks that were going on, and we went back to Corinth, and um, and we cooked a hog. I got my hogs from Mr. Harold. They were actually two. They came in cut in half. I remember being like, oh, crap, what do I do? And he was like, oh, you know, just lay them side by side. It's all right. You know, go ahead and cook them. So that was the first time I cooked a hog, and I just did that for four years and ended up transferring to Nashville. Uh, actually, they kicked me out for drinking beer. Uh, <laughs> I told the truth, though, and uh, I ended up they, twice, and I ended up transferring to Nashville to go to Lipscomb here. And um, I was the whole time, every year, I was doing all like the hay rides for the fraternities and you know sororities and maybe a couple business things. You know, I'd go out and b- build a block pit and cook. And um, so that's how it got going. I was a uh, you know when we left Memphis, we left Memphis because my dad was a uh, government, a proprietary government bond trader fixed income and so i came up in that world and in the commodities and you know the chicago board of trade and pricing and economics and blah 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 uh, i didn't learn a daggum thing about finance but which is a misnomer a lot of people think because i worked in that industry that i had a head start i was finance. curious that that would be something I that didn't pl- learn a daggum. <laughs> no, I, I didn't i didn't those were all like the people who were way smarter than me that were figuring out transactions but um, so what were you doing all this time when, when you're, you know, in this vertical of finance and you're selling bonds or, or trading I was bonds? Trading, I traded, was, uh, joined the trading desk first. I took a job with Nations Bank in Charlotte because I never want, I didn't want to ever live up north again. Nothing against that. It just wasn't my, cold, my culture. New Hampshire, I get it. It's cold. Uh, yeah, it's cold. <laughs> and, um, so that was the only place I could get a job with what we call a primary dealer. And there were at only eight. Uh, and so, um, all the rest were based in New York and the other options were London and Tokyo. And I definitely wasn't doing that. So I took a job over there on their corporate bond trading desk. And, um, again, the whole time I'm continuing to cook, I'm cooking for our trading desk. I'm cooking for our capital markets group. Um, you know, I went up and cooked at the board of trade, like just wherever I could cook on weekends, I was living over there by myself. And so I started, I didn't have really any friends the first few months. And so on Saturdays I would get up and drive to, um, Eastern North Carolina, I dropped to Lexington, North Carolina. I would just go try barbecue and eat barbecue. And um, I always had it in my mind. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, when I'm 50, I'm gonna, which I'm almost 50 now, but when I'm 50, I will have made some money and I'm going to open up my own barbecue place. That's what I'm going to do. Well, it didn't work out that way. I got my girlfriend pregnant. We got, <laughs> we got married, like, and we shouldn't have. And that was a five and a half year uh, 
mistake from for both of us she was a really good person is a good person um but we just shouldn't have gotten married like that you know and she ended up having a miscarriage Uh, but anyway uh you know life just didn't go the path that i had planned on it i ended up getting remarried and um in but after when we got married she was a songwriter and so we moved to nashville we actually moved back. I actually moved back to Memphis first for one job with uh, Dane Rauscher, which was a firm out of Minneapolis, and then took a job with Morgan Keegan, and uh, they were based out of Memphis. But I worked for them in Memphis and then moved to their Nashville office to get uh, Heather back closer to Sony. Uh, and so now I'm in Nashville, and I left Capital Markets, and um, I started – I had two uncles that had sod farms, and one of them, Uncle Sam Coleman, uh, and uh, – outside of florence alabama tuscumbia i laid sod for him a lot i could throw some sod okay so this buddy of mine called me and named matt burton he was like hey man i've got i wasn't working and i'd made enough money that i could take off a few months and figure out i didn't know what i wanted to do and i was way too opening a restaurant wasn't even in my i was i didn't have enough money to do that and i was probably too scared too yeah. intimidated but so he asked but i think uh, it's also important to recognize that you know a lot of people just dive in and i mean i think it's you don't you can start small right but i think a lot of people get in trouble because they 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 reckon they don't recognize that they don't have enough money right so i think there's a little bit we'll get into that yeah that's a i've got some serious warnings to send yeah please please i'll let you do also paying it forward but yeah i um you know i ended up having a landscape contracting company and i didn't even really plan to do that matt was like hey i'm doing all this utility work and putting in sewer lines and water lines and gas lines and part of my bid is to make it all look pretty again yeah and i knew how to do that and so at the time i was like yeah i'll get out and so i bought a skid steer and uh and one thing led to another anyway five another five years passed and it wasn't bad money wasn't great money i didn't hate it but i didn't love it yeah. i was just kind of existing being responsible so yeah. uh, I ended up getting divorced during that time, and when I was my my one of my closest friends, Brian Chandler, moved in my house with me, and that's when I really started cooking. Cooking, I got Julia Childs, The Art of French Cooking, and I started like wondering what are these? What is braising? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So this is like nineteen ninety eight or nine, okay. you know, whatever. And I'm like, what is braising? And I mean, I knew what braising was, but I didn't know what braising was. Yeah. So I started kind of self or teaching myself these techniques, you know, just kind of, I didn't get in and make all the, all the sauces, but I learned how to make the mother sauces and blah, blah, blah. And that really was helpful for me because it, it made me understand the, I guess the science of what happens when we barbecue mm-hmm. food. I wouldn't have g- gained that had I not gone through and, 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 and cooked yeah. classic classical French techniques and pan roasting and blah, blah, blah. So, right. So that's that was a lonely time. It was a good time. I got I, I really kind of honed some things, and I was obviously still cooking a lot of barbecue every weekend to to kind of I would hang out with my buddies, and I was the guy who was cooking, you know. Yeah. And so, and that's that's with how many thousands of people are doing that this weekend, you know but, what I mean? I mean throughout that's, the country, but so. that's the right reasons, you know. You're getting into it cause for the love of the thing, right? Uh, and I think that's why you should get into the industry for whatever the thing is, whatever for you that's baking pies or if it's if it's barbecuing whole hogs, you're like it's the love of the thing, it's the love of the camaraderie, the sharing that with other people. I don't want to put words into your mouth, but what is it exactly that you think that that you are drawn to? Like, what is the thing that magnet the, the, the magnet people people who cook for a living or not for a living, but people who cook a lot 
um, enjoy food beyond a standpoint of sustenance, which is important. We're only here on this earth for a short amount of time. Why do you want to eat something just so you're not hungry anymore? That's stupid. Mm -hmm. Enjoy it. If you can't enjoy it, then, you know, that's your fault. But the reason I think we all get into it is because I like making you happy. Yes. Like, Like, I'm not trying... There are some people who there is ego involved, especially with, um, you know, unfortunately, that's one of the byproducts of competition barbecue is, is you come in there and it's just like, I'm the best. I'm the best. There is no freaking best. Nobody's the best. Best. There's no best anything. Yeah. Right. So you're only competing against yourself ever. So I just want to, I just want to cook this whole chicken on this pit and you eat it and I see that you enjoyed it. That's what's filling my. Yeah my spot right so that's what that's what it really all was about and then that just uh that went on for five years and uh around 06 it was the spring and i had a long time employee who's still a close he's a like a family he is absolutely like family to me martin garcia and um we flipped a trailer and that was kind of the omen for me that was like the bellwether it was like okay this is still while you're you're doing the landscaping business yeah Yeah. it was in may of 2006 uh part of the con we got we got maintenance contracts so if you did the install on a large subdivision or whatever you got an immediate two-year winning bid to like mow the grass and we and all that and that was like kind of the easy money that kind of helped flow and build a business up and so we were going to uh cut and um he didn't lock the trailer hitch on, and literally the trailer just came plumb off and just went right up a embankment, flipped right over, big 72-inch Toro Z-turn, all that, oh just sandwiched it. So that was Monday morning, and this is a true story. This is a really dangerous story because it's it's a romantic it, – it's very romantic sounding, but I'm yeah. telling you, it's really – I hope nobody ever does this, what I did. But long story short, my wife was like, you need to cook. You need to get in the restaurant business. I was – thinking about going to CIA and I was like, I don't want to just be a chef. I want to be a restaurateur. So I I flirted with that several times, you know, while I was doing the, you know, cooking at home and anyway, flipping this trailer, met with the insurance adjuster. Um, they gave my insurance settlement for that mower and the trailer and everything was almost $18,000. By the time I was wrapped up with him, it was about 1030 in the morning. Uh, day was shot. I sent Martina and him home. I don't have any work to do. I got to figure out who can go cut this for me. Some of my buddies who yeah. have other companies. So I went down to this little Mexican place called El Texano and um, over in a little town called Nolensville, which is about at your five o'clock, about 25 minutes outside of Nashville, southeast. And uh, it was right after 11. And I walked up the stairs. There's a little tiny building, and there were, the lights were off, and all the chairs were up. And I looked at the door, and it was like open Monday, 11 to 8, or whatever it said. And I was like, well, that's, you know, it's odd. Like, why aren't they open? So I walked down, and there was a mechanic underneath. And I was like, hey, are these guys open? He's like, well, I own the building, and we evicted them. They owe us three months' rent. And so, you know, yeah, they were closed. And I was like, well, what are y'all going to do with it? And he goes, we're going to rent it out. And I, and I literally just said, I'll take it. Nice. Didn't think about it. Didn't ask him how much it was. Um, and I remember when he was walking me through that, he's like, are you serious? I go, yeah, I'm dead serious. I go, I'll take it. And I remember wanting him to shut up because I was starting to 
realize what I had said. <laughs> I think I think this is a good time to take our first break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs, and effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure your profitability and restaurant success. Trusted by over 400 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you already use and trust like toast turning labor into a competitive advantage for you and your business to get three months absolutely free head over to www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable that's the number seven s-h-i-f-t-s dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free get on it we're back and um get into that story you said that he started telling you more you didn't want to listen to him because you're afraid he would talk you out of it is that what you said i was afraid that i would not him talk me out of it. I was afraid I was about to change my mind and talk oh. myself out of it. So, you know, anyway, uh, that's, that's how it happened. And, um, I went and got a, uh, uh, my granddad, my grandmother was a teller at the old bank of Mississippi and my, my papa, my dad's dad got all of his farm loans from bank of Mississippi and it had changed names to bank Corp South. And I still bank with him today. And I asked my dad to find a commercial banker that he knew within bank Corp South and, I went and met with them and I put, I had a, a house, you know, and, uh, it was, it was like valued like 150,000 and they gave me a $65,000 line of credit. And, uh, I was like, wow, you know, and I went and bought tools. I got the DeWalt whole skill set, you know, skill saw and drill and all that. And I literally got, uh, I mean, I was pretty good with stuff because the stuff we were doing in the contracting was hardscapes. You we were doing like stone patios and decks and stuff so i uh framed out the building and that started in may and uh i ended up hiring this guy named bo collier which is another funny story which i won't bore you with on this one because of time but he was a drummer he's a friend of a friend but he was an old line cook okay and he was just a, he was a redneck guy he was a country he was from franklin tennessee but he was really he had moved to st thomas and he was really into rastafarian and he's just an oxymoron but he's very an eagle scout really intelligent uh, at the time, had never paid an income tax, like was, smoked a lot of pot, <laughs> yeah. you know. So I hired Bo, and uh, Bo really taught me how to set a kitchen up and be a line cook. I owe him that, like, here's – he was very – Bo is very disciplined, and there is black and white, and you do things this way, and, like, we change our pans and clean them out every night. What's the biggest thing that Bo sets you up for success? Like, what Cleaning, was one, the, cleaning? The, organ, the organization of setting a kitchen up. Like, yeah. he said, I'll do this. You know, he's just kind of a vagabond, free spirit, and – um but – uh, and we're still close today, very close. But he said, I'll do this, but this kitchen has to be clean, tidy, and orderly, or I won't work here. And I said, nice. man, that's fine. So, um, yeah, so we uh, we we did it, and we ended up opening up uh, in October of that year. I think that's kind of a statement, though, or a testament that, like, we have to have open, more open minds. Because, like, this, the, the, the picture you painted a bow was somebody that maybe might not be the first person you might hire because of like the extracurricular things and like maybe like like paint that picture was he like the first minute you talked to Bo he's so intense that you knew like and he knew what he was talking about okay and I was open with him I was like look man I can cook some barbecue and I got my brand down 
but I've never worked in a kitchen. Yeah. And that's what I need you to, to do and help me with. And he's like, fine. He's And he just told me this is how I want to do it. And I said, okay. Awesome. So You didn't um, know him prior to that? No. Interesting. No. So you just I trusted him. I met him one time and I hired him. It was awesome. literally, he was playing in a band and a drums and there was like 10 people in this little bar in East Nashville and I stood up and, you know, I'd had a few beers and I was like, <laughs> you know, Bo, you're my new line cook. And he goes, great. One, two, one, two. And they went right into the next song. Nice. <laughs> and then we met after outside after the set and he was like are you serious i was like yeah man i need a i mean a line cook and so jump ahead we built the place out and uh you know i did all my branding and and all that stuff and we opened in october it was october 16th 2006 you mentioned earlier um that you chose not to go to culinary school what was the reason why not to go to culinary school i felt like i was i was 34 years old and i thought i was you know I thought I was old. Yeah. I was like, I can't go to freaking culinary school at 34. Yeah. And that really was the really kind of the big hang up. And also because I did, I wanted the romantic side of like going and staging in kitchens and like, you know, doing all that. But if I, you do that for three or four years, you turn around, you're 38 and like, what do you have? Then you're 40. And I didn't even know enough then to know how your body gets beat up. Like yeah. the, the kitchens are a young man's game. Yeah. And so it was a good decision, but I really wanted to be a restaurateur. But you also didn't end up like i mean you i don't know like i don't know if it's necessary today to go to culinary school i mean i think you're living proof of that if the if the passion is there if the desire is there you can pick up a book on your own you don't need a teacher to hand you a book, all you know? culinary school does is give you a really good head start on the foundation of the house you still got to build the house yeah i don't care if it's barbecue or anything the house that you build is going to come usually from uh then your experiences within a kitchen yeah right yeah. so uh, no you don't have to i've got uh, plenty of friends james beard award winning friends who have uh, who never stepped foot in a culinary school who are are uh world-renowned chefs now so i mean i think the only other thing you could argue is that it helps connect you i mean it's a great if, you, if you're hungry and you have that 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 hunger and your that desire you, you have that network right you can but other than that, like I'm right there with you. Um, but back to you opening your restaurant, um, what reflecting back at that time, uh, not really having any experience in the industry other than your time with, um, uh, Harold Thomas, right. You were working. Harold taught me how to cook barbecue, but Harold didn't teach me anything about running a business. Harold, I don't know if how, if Harold ran a good business or not, we never even talked (laughs) about that. And So, so that ended up coming about because I opened up and, um, man, like kind of immediately, you know, we're 25 minutes out of town. Nolansville had like 3,000 people that live there. Um, and in January, this guy who I'm now friends with, this guy who a lot of us are here in town are friends with named Jim Myers, was the food critic at the Tennessean, our paper. And it was back old school food critic. Like, he had a blacked out face. You didn't know when he came in. It yeah. wasn't any of this, like, you know, uh, sweet, cushy food food critic people today, you know, where they just they don't ever say anything negative. And he came in and gave me a really glowing review. He he busted me up on my brisket. And that's what ended up making me down the road, not immediately, but down the road, uh, say, I've got to get better at my brisket. And so I ended up doing that with, with uh, Adam Perry Lang, Billy Durney, Wayne Mueller, but a lot with Billy, who's one of my closest friends on the planet. And uh, But that's, that's that was later on, way later on. But, you know uh, – I think that that says a lot about your character, though, because a lot of people, when they get beat up with the critics, they take it personally. I'm sure you might have might have tarnished your ego a little bit, but you can choose to be angry about that. Or well, I didn't even s- want to serve brisket. I, I actually wasn't. I, I didn't even have it on the menu. And literally the night before, 
October 15th. Yeah. Bo said, all these Texas transient songwriters are up here. How Don't you think we ought to maybe reconsider serving brisket? And I got scared. Drove to Sam's, asked him for a brisket, a whole brisket. And I sat there and held it. I was like, all right, this thing's about the size of a whole shoulder. I'll just cook it for 18 hours and cook it just like a shoulder. But it was very much an afterthought. I'm a pork guy. And I just had brisket basically just so there wasn't a veto vote for some yeah. Texas person who wanted some brisket. <laughs> but I didn't know – I truly didn't know, like, how important it was to Texans, you know, that brisket is this and this whole aura. It's no different than whole hog is east of the Mississippi River. But anyway, uh, I ended up doing that. And, and so, 06, we opened. Jim wrote a, a stellar review in that January. So, that was about three-odd months later and uh, four months later. And, man, they started coming from Nashville. A lot of the restaurant industry folks started coming, chefs and line cooks. And that summer, we had lines out. The, there was only 12 tables in place. It was 1,000 square feet. So this is 2006, the summer of 2006? This was you? summer of seven. I seven. opened the okay. six, and fall of 06. Gotcha. And so we had lines out the door. I, and I, when I'd run out, man, that was it. And people would be like, I'm never coming back. I drove all the way out here from Nashville, and you don't have anything. I was like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. But I didn't know any other way. I didn't know why that was. They came back, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> they won't come back if it sucks. But reflecting back at that time, knowing what you know now, growing as far as you've grown – uh, not just your business, but you as a professional, as an individual, reflecting back at that time and, and the, the things you were doing, like what were the, some of the things that you, you laugh at that you know today? Like the, oh, like, shutting know. down during the through and playing Splinter Cell on Xbox with Bo, like just to kill the time. Like we would clean <laughs> it up and we'd shut down from 2 to two to 4.30 and, you know, we really only had about an hour of work, if that. And then it was just like, okay, what do we do? And so, I mean, just there's all, man, we did so much crazy, stupid innocent stupid fun stuff you know but around 08 i met a guy named mike bodner and he um was an older guy in in, uh late 08 i think we met and um we started talking in 09 about getting together mike was an old restaurateur he was one of the he was one of the original wendy's franchisees i think he had like the 11th or 14th ever wendy's and he I knew that I didn't know anything what I was doing on running the yep. business side of it. I looked at, I could look at myself in the mirror and say, I'm proud of my food. I'm proud of my brand. I have no basis to be proud on how I'm running this. So I just had sales and there was money. There was a little bit more money in the bank this week than it was last week. Yep. And I was closed on Sundays, you know, for church and Titans games. And then Mondays I was closed, and I, but I would come in and do my payroll for all five people. It'd take me like two hours to do freaking payroll and, you know, calculating taxes and all that, reporting it and um, open Tuesday through Saturday. So anyway, Cliff notes is I started talking to Mike and he had helped Nick Pahakis at Jim and Nick's and his dad when, uh, before Mr. Jim died on putting systems around barbecue, which is really kind of, uh, to me, it was an oxymoron until I figured it out. And and those systems have to do with cooking, but they also have to do with your facility, labor schedules, managing your cost of goods, your supply of food, three things, food, supply, and labor. Mm-hmm. And he, I had a cash register, like $99 cash register, and the first thing he told me, well, he was selling Aloha's, like POS. And he yep. goes, you have, you know who your, who your other partners are. I said, I don't have any other partners. He goes, oh, yeah, you do. You just don't know it. I said, what do you mean? And, you know, that was the basis of like him, like, you got a cash register. You have no way of tracking your cash. These stupid little Z reports aren't. He goes, somebody's taking $20 out of the till every night. You just don't know it. Yeah. You know, and so 
that relationship started uh and he would come in a couple times a week with no strings attached and mentor me and say, yeah. okay, here's your homework assignment this week. First of all, I'll get you a POS. Okay, so I got one. Now let's identify all your raw materials. So I did that for a week. The next week he's like, okay, let's spend the next couple months writing the recipes. Okay, we did that. So I started building the structure to my database to mm. my to, for the POS so that when you came in and ordered, when I was done with all that, when you came in and ordered a pulled pork sandwich, I was able to then – just take a pencil to paper and mathematically figure out, okay, that's four ounces of pork I just sold. That's an ounce of slaw in the sandwich I just sold. That's a half ounce of sauce, and that's a bun. Bun costs 17 cents, but, you know, I just went on yeah. down the line. So we decided in 2000, I had outgrown the space, and there was a guy in Nolan's name, Bill Tisano, who is my current landlord out there, and he was like, I'll build you a building over here. And so Bodner and I decided to just partner up. Who was this guy that, that helped you out? Bart- Mike Bodner? M- Mike Bodner? Okay. Yeah. yeah. What's so, his story? What was he doing before this? How do you mean? He was a Wendy's franchise. When, okay, franchise. that's right. Yeah. You mentioned that. That's yeah. right. So um, well, he did other things, you know, but he had helped Jim and Nick's, and they'd grown into this. You know, they had like, I don't know, at the time, like 15 or something stores, and that was impressive that, you know, when I would talk to Nick, and Nick was like, yeah, we make this stuff from scratch, and we do this, and it's like, how do you do that past one location and – still hold on to your integrity about what you're doing without reheating and like bringing commissaries in all that stuff. That's just at a granular level. That's not in my DNA. Yeah. So, so so Mike was like, I'll, I'll show you. So why, why weren't you intimidated by Mike? Why weren't you threatened by Mike? I feel like a lot of people in that scene, I'm not intimidated by anybody. And I don't mean that as like, I'm so bad. I just don't, I just don't, I think we're all just people. And, um, I'm not, I'm also not intimidated by myself to say, I don't have the answer to this, man. Like, you know, those old monikers you see like back in the seventies when dad's driving the car and he's not going to use a map out of pride. That's not me. Yeah. Give me a map. Yeah. It's okay uh, to ask show me It's map. okay to take help. It's okay to take help. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Because you, what do you, you don't have it figured out. Mm-hmm. So it didn't, it did not intimidate me in the least. I matter of fact, I was a like thirsty is not even, doesn't even describe it. Willing student. And the student always seeks the teacher. That's yeah. very important. So Bodner just shows up and he's like talking to me about this stuff. And that it went from very informal to never got formal, but it went, it got serious. Like, okay, see you next Tuesday. And here's what you do this. And he would work on his stuff over on the side and I'd be over there like, okay, is this right? And be like, look at it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You see that, you know? So that went on. And so anyway, we ended up partnering in 2010 and I said, the deal was, um, he didn't buy into it. I didn't get any money. I gave him equity in return for mentorship. Yeah. And 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 he came into the, on scene in 2007, you said that summer? Eight. 2008? Eight. So, it's, so I think, you know, it, it takes time to, to, to build trust, to build those relationships, you know? I think people sometimes rush into rela- um, partnerships. Do, would you, do you have any advice on partnerships and selecting partners? Uh, what was going through your mind? Why Mike was a good investment? Yeah, we could do a whole series, you <laughs> and I, on restaurant. But, you know, um, Mike has been an incredible mentor. Yeah. Um, our, our partnership... Things have evolved and things have grown. He ended up going and starting a, a hospitality group called Fresh Hospitality, which is partners with a few entities here in town. And kind of on the same basis of like, hey, I did this with uh, I, I did this with my own folks at Wendy's. And I did this with uh, Jim at Jim and Nick's. And, and then, you know, obviously Nick. And then I've done this with Tzatziki's, this Mediterranean. So now I got this Pat say, Martin the, kid. I so they kind of formed. I knew I had Tzatziki's on the show. I was like, that sounds so familiar. Fresh yeah, they, yeah, they, they, he kind of ended up formalizing it, okay. you know. And so anyway, um, 
we partnered and I moved across the street in the new building, which is still small. It was only uh, with the patio. It's 2,400 square feet. And um, that's where things got formal. And and that's where I really uh, put my skins on the wall because we opened up. I, mean, I was doing 14000 a week in sales across the street. We thought we were going to open up. We wrote a, a sales projection for the first week together at 22000 We opened up at forty, And I had no other managers. So that next two years was, um, it was boot camp, you yeah. know, like, and, and I always respect Mike cause Mike left me alone. He was only there when I needed, I had a question. He would do his best to answer it. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I'll give people advice on is that if you're going to partner with somebody, partner with somebody who truly brings value to the table and knows their role. Compliments you too, right? Compl- like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be a yin and a yang, yeah. right? You've got to find your weaknesses and find somebody who can help you with that. And sometimes, that partner needs to go away after you've gained that weakness, after you've gained that, uh, you've, you've shored up that weakness you had, or they just continue to bring more stuff yeah. to the table. A lot of times people look at partners just for capital. And I'm yeah. going to tell you not to do that. I'm going to tell you that you need to look at partners that actually help you create more value. Why don't look at them just as capital? Why is that dangerous? Because it's an unhealthy marriage, mm. right? So I've never taken a penny you know, it's one thing that pisses me off is when you're when you're partnered with a hospitality group. It's like, well, you got them to fall back on. Oh, but they don't have them to fall. They're not a bank, you know. And once you get into and their only role is to provide capital. I'm not saying it doesn't ever work out, but a lot of people are just romantic about the restaurant business. They just they just want to be in the freaking restaurant business. And they end up they've got the money to do it. And they find this young cook over here and they get him going and then they go eat. You know, they fly out to Napa or they fly to France or whatever, and now they bring their ideas and they want to shove them on you. One thing I'll give Mike credit on, he never one time tried to change me, it, mm. anything with Martins. He just was like, you do what you do, and I'm here. I'm I'm the old guy over here. It's got a lot of answers. If you need them, I'm here. Yeah. And so I love that. I love that approach. And reflecting back, some of the big things that have come out of the conversation is he taught you basically how to inventory your business, how to get your prime costs down, how to do do menu engineering, right? So you structure. know structure exactly. He taught me how to he taught me how to wrap systems so, and disciplines you, of financial you structure. Don't necessarily change the thing, the soul, the thing that's so special. You just you just look at it and say, how can we create repetition and consistency and order and structure around this to maintain it. Right, you don't want to change it. You want to maintain it, and you need systems to maintain it. Um, But reflecting back at some of the biggest key pivotal moments that Mike taught you, the things that you would have never done if you didn't have him in your corner. It's too many for me to answer that. There were just a lot of little things like added up to this big thing. You know what I mean? Like it was, man. It was like, for example, let's just take a labor schedule. Okay. There's there's five sections to a day: open, lunch, the through, dinner, and close. Mm -hmm. Right. I got down, I was so, Mike was, how, we call it time in motion, how long does it take for me to do my prep and manufacture what I've got to do to open up for lunch? Well, I literally got a stopwatch and timed it. I timed how long it took me to go to the bank and drop the deposit off. And then backed into my, how many people do I need to execute this? Yeah. Right? So, it that's just one example of that right there, you know, of just, um, you know, looking at voids, comps, you know, like every night. Like the stuff, the unsexy stuff is the stuff that makes people successful in restaurants. Mm-hmm. They get into it because it's sexy. A lot of chefs and pitmasters get into it if they're being honest with themselves because it's a vehicle for them to be more popular or even in their mind famous. That's a horrific reason to get yeah. into the restaurant business. Okay. But, you know, the fact is, is that you, you just, 
you you've got to do the unsexy stuff. The unsexy stuff is what makes it work. What's the unsexiest thing that you do really well? Um, <laughs> I love <laughs> I love operations now. Yeah. Like I really love tearing into food costs. I love tearing into a labor schedule. Mentoring and teaching kids or teaching line cooks. Burger cannot be packed too tight. It's got to be packed loose so it can stay in contact with the flat and caramelize rather than lift up and steam. It's all these. I love all that stuff. And um, I think that a lot of people just that just is, gets in their way of being, you know, Joe Blow Pitmaster, blah, blah, blah. I was on, you know, this Food Network, <laughs> you know, and it's it's um, it's the unsexy things that make it. So what is it about the operations, developing the operations? It's like the game of business, right? And I, and I can tell from your story that you probably have a little bit of a competitive edge because of the basketball, right? Or just that, that idea. I'm, of, I'm very competitive. Yeah. But I'm, I've matured. I used to be competitive against other people. I truly, literally just look at myself in the mirror every day. I don't it, give a shit what everybody else is doing. It sounds like what drew you to the industry was the the love for the food, the love of being uh, you know, seen and appreciated for the thing you do, for making people happy, right? And getting that recognition for for doing barbecue well. And then he helped you understand the game of business. Uh, and he, and he gamified the, it, it for you with the systems and, and doing Yeah, things. it was like a, it was like going and getting, you know, a, another degree to kind of help you round out. I mean, I've always been a good leader. I've always been the guy that was willing to take the shot, you know, the technical foul, you know. Yeah. Uh, I've never been one to shy away from it. And um, just having those systems kind of shored everything up, you know, because I had – I was proud of my food. I was proud of my brand. The thing I had to shore up was I had to learn how to be a businessman mm-hmm. and how to operate this. And, and uh, Mike helped me do that. And around 2012-ish, 13, um, I didn't get into this to, like, grow a bunch of restaurants either. And even sitting here with you right now, I don't have some number in mind out there that I want to grow. Um, I just – I grow them opportunistically. But – Another opportunity came along, and we opened up a second one, and that was a whole nother learning curve. That and that was in 2012. Yeah, that was that was something that Mike had fa- not complete, but fairly, you know, limited. Um, that was just getting up and getting in the ring and getting your your face punched in and figuring out how to stop this guy from hitting you in the face. You know, yeah. that's not something Mike could hold my hand in the ring. And be like, okay, now d- you know, bob and weave right here and come around the left and jab him in the side, and then hit the right on the, yeah. on the chin. So, um, yeah, and then it just it, – it, I just was really maturing then in my, at that point in my career. So this is six years in. You're, what, 33, 32, 34 when you got started. So you're almost 40 at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, this is when you're going from one to two locations. What was the biggest challenge of going from one to two locations, and, and how did you overcome those challenges? People. Yeah. That's where I learned the lesson that the human capital, human asset – and investing in that, your employees, is is the most important thing to grow. How'd you learn that lesson? Hard. Yeah. The hard way. What Just turnover, losing people. You're worried about your hourly wage. And like, I can't pay this guy another 50 cents an hour. Because a lot of people, employees have also, you know, another thing that's, in my opinion, screwed up about the restaurant business is that people, 95% of everybody gets promoted. They get promoted on tenure. Yeah. You know, Bobby's the bar manager. I'm I'm just a bartender. Pat's a bartender. Um, you know, Joe's the GM, and Bobby came in high. Bobby, you're fired. Well, what does Joe do? Does Joe go through a recruiting firm and try to find a bar manager that has shown that he can manage his cost? And no, he doesn't do that. Pat, you've been here for five months. You should be the bar manager. 
whether Pat's ready to be the bar manager or not. Yeah. Right? So there's that tenure thing through promotion on that end, and then employees, hourlies, feel like, okay, I've been here six months. I had not gotten a raise. Hey, I want a 25-cent raise. And and people say, you know, they start getting backed into a corner like, oh, gosh, i got to give him a raise or he's going to leave. Well, I would rather overpay a little bit now. This is the lesson I learned. But let me tell you something. You ain't getting another raise until you create more value. Mm. How do they know? I tell all my people here, no, don't come ask me for a raise. Come ask me to be trained on something else so you can be more valuable. Okay. Then I'll give you a raise. Okay. Do you, like, do you have that? Is that built? Like, how do you, how do you track that? How do you know that they're actually bringing more value? Well, the more things they know how to do, and then you take in just common sense stuff. It's like they show up every day. Yeah. They, there's, they don't, you know, you know, the people who give you the BS excuses, yeah. you know, even if they're not trying to be malicious about it, you know, and this, I, I judge everybody first, my first impression on their gait, how yep. they walk. If they walk with like, okay, A to B, B to C, B to D, but if they're A to B and then I'm going home here and A to then B to C, <laughs> I freaking guys Dally, out. Dally. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, so I, I look, it's the, it's how they carry themselves. Yeah. But I, back to the, this lesson. And do they care? Do they care about the brand? Do they do they do they go out and drink with their buddies and they're wearing Martin's barbecue at the bar, or do they go out and drink with their buddies and they got to get that Martin's barbecue shirt off? Uh, when they're proud of where they work, they won't think about going out with their work clothes on. I want to talk about how you make people proud of the brand. I want to get into that, but I want to kind of sew up this last lesson real quick because I think it's huge. Is that like you have to give people. Um, what you shared with me reminds me of Nick Cirillo in Nick's Pizza up in um, Evanston or up by Chicago. Um, and that idea that you have to basically give people like, like it's a, you, you don't just ask for a raise. You show me like you give them, you, you can even, even paint that picture. You learn how to do these X, these five things and you hit that point, you take the test or whatever and you show me that you're competent in these five things. You, earn, you, you create tiers, right? And then I think it even goes as far as giving people different hats that when you reach a certain tier, you get a new hat to know that you that you can handle those different uh, skills. I mean, I don't know if you did anything you have no like idea that. how bad all of us want people. Just, there is so much opportunity in life. I don't care if it's a restaurant business when I took my job with Nations Bank, there was this funny, eccentric sales manager that was across the trading desk named George Ellison. And George would like, it, there was hazing back then, you know, like, okay, eat a habanero powder, here's five grand. If you vomit, you don't get it, you mm-hmm. know, like stuff like that. But on Fridays when everybody would go to the bar, George would ask me to run an errand for him or whatever. And I would do it. I knew the game. You know, I, I was smart enough, you know, just from sports. You knew there was some hazing with seniors. Well, that's kind of what was happening. And George actually complimented me one day. He said, you know what the problem people is? He goes, um, if all you ever do is what you're getting paid to do, that's all you're ever going to do. Mm. So, you know, doing the extra thing and just caring, man. Some people care and some people don't. And it's hard to find the ones that care. Yeah. You know, and that's just, it, there's no magic science to that. If there was, I would have a thousand restaurants open if I could f- solve that problem, you know, but. I think this is a good transition to that next little bit, like the, that you, you have this brand, that you've created pride in this brand, that you create culture. And it sounds like <coughs> one of the things that you were really proud of early on was developing the brand because you did that on your own, right? Developing the brand. I developed that brand in my dorm room 30 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Head, you know, like so, I had it. So what, what's going on with, within the four walls of your restaurants that people have a sense of pride to work for Martins, that, they, that, they, you know, that they've created that culture of pride? Uh, a lot of it 
uh, comes from one-on-one time with me, which I, I still, I don't know that I'll ever do a good enough job of doing that, especially now we've got the amount of employees that we have. It's really hard for me. Um, at the time when I just had one restaurant, I ruled it with an iron fist and I don't apologize for it. You know, I wasn't a, I wasn't easy to work for, but I wasn't a jerk. I didn't, I didn't, wasn't inhumane. I didn't call people names and that, but I've punched some doors and, you know, we had a drive through on that restaurant, on that building. And it's two and a half minute ticket times. And they got to four minutes and I come in and I'm just like, what do you do? You know, like, it's just, they're just cutting corners. They're getting sloppy. And it's just, I use coaches a lot as how I approach things, you know. And, um, as I grew, I, I realized I had to change my management and leadership style uh, to still hold firm, but to become more of a teacher. And, and really, it was a, a learning lesson for me to say, you know what? Your job is to win the battle. Your job is to win the war. Your job is to win every battle. You're going to lose some battles. So don't get all wound up about every employee that doesn't do something the right way. Mm. Um, so I quickly kind of deciphered, like, okay, what are the things that I'm going to explode at and not apologize for? And that is, we got these spare ribs. They cook for six hours, okay, 210 degrees. You take them out at four and a half because we don't have, we're 86 spares, but a customer's sitting over here and they want them. You do that a second time, you will not work here anymore. Yeah. You tell them, we don't have them ready yet. They're not ready. Yeah. That is what I'm going to say. I'm, you, I'm, there is no bend. Same kind of thing with the facility and how we treat our guests. Um, but, you know, I started realizing, like, you know, so-and-so is late. Instead of getting mad, why are you? I'd sit down and say, why are you late? And then you start finding out. You start learning how to empathize more. Mm-hmm. You start finding out that people have personal problems or they don't have a car to get to work and or their car's janky or whatever. And so that's where I really started learning to bend yeah. and become more empathetic. So you, in operating this first location, you're, you're basically imprinting your values onto your people. You're recreating yeah. yourself and your people with your standards of, and setting those standards. So, that's and, another great thing you bring yeah. up because I, I wanted everybody to be Pat mm. and they're not going to be not because I'm awesome it has nothing to do with that. It's because they're not the owner. And when you're the owner and it's your dream and you have skin in the game, you have a completely different view of something. Yeah. That's a big to, lesson to learn to expect that from an hourly employee. I don't care if you're paying them $25 an hour, you know, or ten seven dollars an hour. To expect that is just flat out unrealistic. And mm-hmm. I learned that somewhere around 2013 that I had to start changing and quit having those false expectations. So what changed? What did you start doing to, to change to to keep that level of, of culture that you've established? But, you know, that not dilute that culture, but also, you know, to. Well, it got I hired a guy, this guy I went to college with named Chris Kaiser. He was from West Tennessee and he knew the culture of West Tennessee whole hog, which was it's the club footed stepchild in barbecue. Everybody talks about the Carolinas and, you know, because that's what everybody knows. And you see whole hog, you're like, well, Eastern North Carolina or South Carolina. And then there's this, you know, group of us over here in West Tennessee that, hey, we cook whole hog too, you know. And uh, Kaiser knew that culture. And so bringing him in, he was also a restaurant manager. So bringing him in helped me not have to put out every single fire. Mm-hmm. And then other managers started as we kind of grew, and I hate to say the word mushrooming, but we started widening out at the top a little bit. I had more people to um, talk to, to ask advice from. Um, I ask advice from my employees hourly. Yeah. I'm like, what do you think about? What do you, you know, anything? You know, I'm, I don't have, 
my ego is not that big that I can't hear their answer. So having Kaiser was another big step yeah. for me, you know. I, and I think you have to point out too that you guys are getting really good acclaim at this point. Like, you know, like you're being nationally recognized. Um, you're doing something really unique, whole hog, right? I feel like that's a that that in itself is appealing. People want to be a part of that. It's exciting, right? There's something to be proud of. The, the approach that you're taking, I think, the fact that you're getting national acclaim, the, the fact that you're doing something cool and interesting, you're attracting onto yourself good people uh, in general, and then I think that is worth mentioning. Uh, and then just keeping them, and then being generous through your knowledge. Uh, you have these, you have these standards, you have these expectations, but you're also super generous with your information. That's a lesson you got from Harold Thomas, you know, and you and you paid that forward. And I and I. And you show that you care. And I think that's the other thing that you haven't come right out and said yet, but it, it's evident in everything that you do and the, the stories I've read about you is that you care about your people. And when you care about your people, they'll care about you. That's true. Right? Um, so th- you made this pivot, you said, around 2013 where um, you just realized that the, not everybody was going to treat it like they, they owned it. But you, you also started scaling, so you're creating more opportunity, right? So get into that part of it and how you started – in 2013, you went from one to two locations, or 2012, um, but you're also now growing, so you, there's there's no ceilings anymore for your people, or there's a higher ceiling. Um, uh, there's a higher ceiling. Um, it, you can't franchise barbecue. You can franchise barbecue. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a misnomer, too. A lot of people use the word franchise with if, if you've got more than one location. Franchise is, is a specific type of growth model that you would use. It's basically when you franchise, you're renting your brand to somebody. Here's the business model. Here's the sign and decor. Pay me a royalty fee, which is quoting for, you know, street terms is rent. And pay me 5% off your gross sales. And uh, I'll come in a couple times a year and make sure everything's okay. Yeah. That doesn't equate to barbecue well. Because the barbecue is not a recipe that you just set it in, right? It's yeah. a skill set. And so um, to grow... I have to create opportunities for people in order for them to be a joint venture partner with me somewhere. So basically, we have a few minutes. I want to wrap up this, this idea of basically you only grow. So a lot of this, this comes up a lot in the show. It's like when do you know it's time to, to scale? Cash flow and people. And, and then when you have those things, um, then when you grow, you're just providing opportunity. Like you're giving out outlets for your people to go because they're going to go off and do their own thing eventually anyway, but you have to give them the opportunity of, for growth. Um, how do you do that within house? How do you create these opportunities for your pit masters? Cause I know you to, to, to open a Martins, you've, you've, you can't just approach, you know, you can't just be approached, you can't approach no, Pat and say, I no, want to open a Martin. There's more not. to it. Nope, 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 nope. You got to work here for yeah. a long time. Like there's no, it's, I've got to have just a intangible faith that I'm going to show you how to run the, this business as a kitchen manager. And then you get a promotion to a GM. I'm going to show you, you know, a lot of people think it's just about learning how to cook barbecue. That is not, that's, nope. that's not that that's easy. That's not quote the easy part, but that's a year of reps. I can write down a recipe or a procedure right now for you to go cook a whole hog. Yeah. But then you've actually got to go cook that hog. Well, <laughs> yeah. right. It's like, I can show you how to ride a bicycle, but you gotta, you don't just get on a bicycle as people. Okay. I got to put the right foot on the pedal and push it forward. I'm good. I'm riding yeah. down the road. It just doesn't work that way. Well, that's the bar. That's the cooking side. Then the running the business, how to be a businessman. Basically what I'm trying to do is what Mike did with me now. I'm teaching them the things that I was taught within my own house to create an opportunity for me to open another store. Mm. And that is just very intangible, man. It's not a, there's not like a set checklist of like, Oh, you know, 
here's all things you can do. Okay, I can't argue with you. We got to open up another one. Yeah, because you can't measure and checklist heart and desire. You know, uh, if 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 you're in Knoxville and you've got a Martin's Barbecue that we've opened up together, and you're living there, and John the pit guy, you know, doesn't come in at night, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to get in the car and go down there. Yeah, you or if you're something. not, I'm not going to partner with you. Right. So I got to figure that out before we ever buy. If you get to that point, it's too late. Have Have you ever had somebody who's come through your your no. your program who's, who's no what who who's been one of those people? No. I I I'm really curious now if you know what I was going to ask. Uh, who's gone on to open their own place? Who's taken all of your lessons on how to cook whole hog? Oh, to- no, uh, no. I got one. There's one guy that I hope he does it. Uh, his name's Hal. Um, he's very smart, and he wants to open up his own place. Hal Holden, is it? Hal Holden Beach? No. Oh, okay. No, it's a guy named Hal Wilson Nichols. Okay. But he uh, he wants to do something on his own, and I hope he does because I'm proud of him. Um, he's very smart. And- so I think that's what I'm getting into is this um, this idea. I think a lot of people are afraid to share their knowledge because they're afraid they're going to open a place next door and compete. But you seem to be so generous with your knowledge and the way to how to run, not just on how to cook a whole hog, but how to run business. Um, what's that inner dialogue look like with basically that, that maybe it's a fear that they might go on and open a place down the street and compete with you? I don't know how to answer that for you because I've never had that fear. Mm. And, and you're, you're spiting yourself because you have a choice to make. You either share what you, what you know so they can execute your brand. Or you share part of it because you're insecure and basically it means you have an e- a large ego. Yeah. And you're afraid somebody's going to outdo you. I, I don't, that's not, I'm not wired that way. Yeah. I've loved this conversation. I want to make sure we leave room for the speed round. So before we wrap it up, I just want to ask you, is there anything we haven't gotten to any, um, anything you want to talk about that's near and dear to your heart right now that you, th- that you think the industry needs to hear? Well, maybe not the end. There's a lot of stuff for the industry. A lot of things that I try to give, you know, I do events and all kinds of people reaching out like, hey, I've, I've been wanting to do this and I love your story. And, and I literally tell them, um, it's the best thing I ever did. Don't do it. <laughs> and, and it's just because just because you cook great food does not mean you need to be in the restaurant business because yeah. that's a whole nother conversation. This cooking you you can you can you can cook some of the best stuff that's ever been made but it has nothing this is a whole nother conversation when you've got to do it five six days a week 52 weeks out of the year it's 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 such it's very 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 dangerous the restaurant business because as you know you know very few restaurants actually do make it and for a variety of reasons not just whether they're well capitalized or not I had to, I didn't borrow enough money, by the way. I had to oh, go yeah. back and get an ex- another uh, addition to my line. And that was one hundred and sixty thousand you got the first time, right? Sixty five thousand. Sixty five thousand. Okay. That was it. So, um, you know, I would really encourage people that if you really want to go open up a restaurant, and this is where it really stops. They don't want to hear this advice, but it's true advice. Go work in a restaurant. Yeah. And actually, go work in a chain restaurant because you're not going to learn systems and disciplines from a mom and pop store usually. Yeah. Right. That's go changing, learn. which is a good thing. I think it's a good, people are starting to adopt it, but I agree with what you're saying. You're more likely going to. Yeah. Go yeah. learn basic. Go, go work for a casual dining or go work for freaking McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And, and if your ego is too big to do that, then you definitely don't need to be doing this Absolutely. because you have to be in a point to where you're like, okay, just like I was, I've got my food. I've got that shored up. Uh, I know what I want to do with my brand. I don't know how to run the business. 
And if you don't know how to run the business, it doesn't matter how great a food you cook, you're probably going to go out of business and you're going to lose every single freaking thing you probably have. Absolutely, man. Great and it stuff. is so dangerous. Yeah. And this is the last. And part. I don't want to keep people from doing it. They should. But you got to understand to do it. <laughs> I want you to follow your dream. Yeah. But make sure you've checked. Make sure you've got. Make sure you've equipped yourself for success. Yeah. And they just skip over this stuff over here because that's the unsexy stuff. Yeah. Restaurant Unstoppable is mission like, is, is almost to, to talk people out of it. Like I'm here to empower people. I'm here to inspire. It should be to inspire, empower, and, tr- and talk people out of opening restaurants. And like I'm happy that you're saying that because it's, it is alluring. It is sexy, like you say. But there's a lot of realities to, that you just don't see. And, it, and you have to love everything about this business. Your holidays aren't, ain't your holidays anymore. No. Your Saturdays aren't your Saturdays anymore. Yeah. Like that's the, that's a, it's a lifestyle change yeah. massive that people don't think about. So on that, that note of change, the last question, the last question I asked all my guests before going to the speed round is the, the mission statement is to inspire, empower and transform the industry. How have you changed? How have you transformed over the past, what, 14 years now? Who's the Pat today versus the Pat back then? Oh, it's more of an old man Pat now. <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't get I definitely don't get as wound up about a lot of the things that I used to get wound up about. Um, you know, I, I love teaching so much. I really truly enjoy just going in and putting an apron on and I don't get an opportunity to do it as much as I like to. I didn't get into the business to be what I am personally right now. I didn't get into business to be a chairman and CEO of my company and da da da. I got into business to cook. Yeah. So I love getting on the line when I've got a window, usually on like a Friday night. I usually try to go out to Nolansville or one of my stores, but I still go to Nolansville a lot. It's still the COG, it's the original. And just go back down the line. I love sitting on a freaking five-gallon bucket on the line, on a, in a kitchen, in the bowels of a kitchen, and just shit's hitting the fan. And it's like that. That is, that's for me with ADD, that is like my warm comfort place. That's self from here, right? The original? Huh? The, the original location, self from here? Sell? Self. Yeah, from south at your five o'clock, about twenty five okay. minutes. But know where I'm going tonight. You know, and so um, you, um, it's. I love getting in there and just being like, "Hey, let me let me show you, let me show you how. To, don't cut those ribs, you know, or whatever. I mean, anything. Just working with them, putting an arm around them, like that's just a. Uh, that's what I really enjoy. Patrick, I've loved this conversation. One more quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to bust out a true speed round. Head over to toasttab.com slash unstoppable to find out why Toast POS is the number one recommended POS on the show by a landslide. So there's a bunch of reasons why Toast is being recommended on the show, but I'm finding the most common reason is because of their customer support. And now, while I don't think you'll need their customer support all the time, it when that Friday night rolls around and there is a question you have and you're busy, you're going to wish you were able to get right into that customer support and they will be there for you. Uh, the other reason why Toast is always being recommended on the show is because of how many other platforms integrate with Toast. So you can literally marry all the technologies in your company together. They'll, they'll work together. They integrate together and you can turn on these additional features as you need them. It's like flipping a switch. It's that easy. So that's why I love toast. That's why my guests love toast. And again, if you want to learn more, head over to toasttab.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, I'll send you a check for a thousand dollars when you become a customer. All right, we're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? You have to give a crap. Yes. What is your biggest weakness? Oh, there's a lot of those. <laughs> um, 
I I will overanalyze and go too too deep on an issue, mm. and because I, I want it to be so right that yeah. I it it ends up logging me bogging me down. Tunnel vision. I'm not as yeah it's tunnel vision. I'm not as bad as I used to be on it because I've been aware of that weakness for a while now, but it's still there. I don't think it'll ever completely go away. But you know I, I will I will spend. Uh, I'm way past one sentence here, though. <laughs> you're fine, you're fine. <laughs> but I will, I will, I'll spend too much time on something sometimes. I love it. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today? Current challenge? People. Yeah. How are you overcoming that? You just get there's when you find that answer. Will you let me know? It's <laughs> <laughs> just generally finding people. Yeah, you work. just get up another day and you just try to um, find them. I will say this, and this will be a little bit more than one sentence: is a lot of times those people are right under your nose. Mm-hmm. You get to know your people better and you're like, you know, you're looking over here at um, so-and-so, the cashier, and um, you don't, you got to get to know them and know their skill sets because it's a lot easier to bring, you want to bring people up from within and don't just cast them off like, oh, they're 26 and they like to still go out and party and all. Well, give them a reason to not, to change their, to change what's important to them and maybe they'll party, fine, go out and party. But if you got to be here at 7 a.m., you don't ever know if their ambition is strong enough that they will change their structure in their life yeah. in order to put their career ahead of their party. Mm. So it's just uh, it's things like that. Uh, what is one thing you're looking for when you're building your team, when you're growing your team, what are you looking for? A question you ask. On the front end or somebody that's already working for me? Front end. Um, there's, a, there's a couple things, actually. Uh, I, I want to see their stability where they worked before. You know, if they worked for two or three places before, I'm interested. If you work for all these other places and you've got a different job every six months to a year at another restaurant, you're probably going to leave in six months. Yeah. Training dollars are three times more expensive. If I'm paying you $10 an hour, it costs me 30 to train you. Yeah. So if I'm going to piss away $30 an hour to train you, and then you're going to leave six, six months. months. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's a lot of trying to hedge against that. Um, but I just talked to them about – what they did sports or whatever, and try to find something in their life that they had heart in. Mm. It's all heart, man. I love it. Share one code of conduct or core value. You teach your team. This is a way to be a way to act within your restaurant. Um, well, I've already talked about like dotting the I's and crossing the T's and all that. I would, I would definitely say, you know, know your job. I'm going to train you and yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to handle my end. I'm going to train you to know your job and do your job. Mm. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this may be front of house, something that you do to go above and beyond to, to serve your guests. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. I try very much. I really do look to a lot of the classical chef-driven fine dining restaurants for our service in the front. And a lot of it, when somebody hears that right off the gates, they're going to be like, what, are you kidding me? But a lot of it is little things that you would never notice, such as if you're walking to the bathroom and I'm a runner, and we're going to meet. Yeah. I stop and step aside for you to pass me. Mm. I don't try to squeeze by yeah. you. And a little stuff like that. So um, it's always looking a customer in the eye and smiling. Yes. They are always right. Um, they can be wrong after we've made them feel like they were right. But uh, <laughs> and a, lot, a lot of times they are wrong. But, yeah. but they don't even know mind, they're wrong. No, they're right. <laughs> yeah. You have to go. You have to go so deep. You know, if we miss an order up like uh, in the drive through. I won't do it if they're 50 miles away, but if they're five, six miles away, we're having an employee drive to their house and bring them the whole meal that we just screwed up. That's and it awesome. may be a missing sauce. 
But we gotta we gotta make it right. I mean that might that in that moment that might cost you whatever to replace the meal, the time to send the employee out there. It might cost you what fifty bucks if you add it all up. But what's that going to be in the long run when they show when you show them that you care? Like that that's going to pay for itself time and time again. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely, I love it. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner? Oh, it's a good one. I would definitely uh, uh, Charlie Trotter's book on. Um, on service, uh, definitely Danny Meyer's book. Setting the table. Yep, setting the table. Uh, I know Danny uh, fairly well, and he, that's just a, I give that book to everybody. But I will tell you, as far as people are concerned, the One Minute Manager. It's mm. old. Classic. It's, it's it's a classic. It it will never not be applicable, and it. it's short. Yeah. It's like so a, like an hour or less on audio. I want to say. Yeah. Um, what is one service? that you've outsourced to so this isn't necessarily a uh, a technology that you've implemented but like something that you don't do well or somebody does better than you if you outsource it well part of the things that mike built with fresh was was that to um okay we have accounting we have um you know uh, technology over here so I outsource my accounting. I don't okay. have. I'm. I'm about. I'm getting to a point where I'm about to stop that. I'm big enough now that I'm. I'm going to hire my own CFO and bring them in house on salary. But how do you know you're big enough? What's that point look like? Just when you look at how much money am I? What does the CFO make? Okay. Okay. So CFO may make 120 grand a year. Okay. Like a, a CFO, not somebody who wants. You know, yep. like a CFO. Uh, there are CFOs that make far more money than that, but where I am right now, I kind of know the industry about 120 grand a year. Well, I'm paying 120 grand a year to, to outsource it, to outsource yeah. it. You know what I mean? Or so when I'm there, I'm like, okay, well maybe I was at a hundred. I could have done it. You know, like it's another 20 grand. Well, but you know, that having a good accountant, it's another piece of advice I'll give you. Um, don't ever hire a bookkeeper yeah. because they're $60 an hour. Hire the accountant. Right. It'll so, save you a lot of headaches. So what's the service you outsource to do your accounting before going to the CFO? Can you the, the is there a service that like that you use for your accounting? Yeah, I have a guy named Todd Mormon who's um uh who basically does this as a third party service and he is my CFO and he's a dang good one too. Do you have the uh the name of the business? It's, it's the point of this question is to refer Well it's within fresh part of Fresh's services. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So it's fresh accounting or whatever, gotcha. you know, but no, fresh services. Um, you have to be like invited into that, or is that you have to mean? be? Uh, yeah, I think I, I think that's how they do it. You got to yeah. be like a. Uh, they have to be involved in some form or okay. fashion for them to. So the next question I have for you is: What is one technology that you're leveraging within your business that's had a huge impact on communication efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? So an example of this would have been a POS system ten years ago when Mike first came on scene. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's. Um There are some technologies out there, but there's nothing that's like jumped up with some huge delta that's made it like, oh gosh, this is the new next best thing uh, for me. Mm-hmm. There are for other people, but um, we're writing some. I don't even know if you would really call it code, but like I'm I'm trying to dive into my inventories more and try to figure out using like Benford's curve to. Um, uh, dial that in uh we're we we have these we have prep sheets every day yeah that they have to do so now we're auditing that i'm really big into audit not so i can be a cop and bust you but so i can teach you it's kind of like you know i go to the doctor and i use this analogy a lot and i go to the doctor and my doctor's like pat 
you're 252 pounds, you're fat. Uh, you got to lose weight. All right, Doc, I'm going to lose weight. What do you want me to do? Well, I want you to uh, drink a lot of water, fish, limit your carbs, and I want you to work out uh, an hour a day on the treadmill. Okay, I get the fish and the lot of carbs, but why, what's this treadmill, what's treadmill going to do for me? Well, it's going to burn calories and stuff like that. Well, I don't still understand. Why don't you just shut up, Pat, and get on the dead gum treadmill, come back in six months, and let's weigh you and see yeah. if you lost weight. Because the doctor knows if yeah. you actually do that, you're going to lose weight. Well, it's, it's also with like boot camp, like guys that go in the military, they learn those disciplines. Well, these disciplines, I know this is getting away from your technology, but it is rudimentary technology. Like just do it anyway, and when you do it Trust enough, you're going to realize that that it works. Yeah. And then you'll start applying it. Yeah. I love it's it. dotting the I's and crossing the T's. I love you mentioned Benson's number, and I think that's the first time it's ever been mentioned on the show. Um, and I watched a documentary recently on that number and how it just repeats. Or is it Benson's curve? Curve. But I think it, it's, it's a tied to a number, right? It's tied to like 1 through 10, and you 30% of the time, yeah. a 1 will be the leading number, yeah. and then 26% of the time, a 2. It's and, like the majority of all numbers are like 1s, 2s, and 3s. Yeah. And then as the higher you go up, the, the less likely it is that's to right. be. Um, I mean, I could do a whole episode on that, but like w- specifically, like, how are you looking at that number? I know a lot of governments use this number. It's like a secret number. People call it. Right? Yeah. So like, how is that significant within the world of, of the well, I'm kind of figuring it out. It's, 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 it's somewhat new. Uh, the guy how I was telling you about is actually, I've asked to help me figure it out, but, uh, we've already applied it to inventories and it was like staggeringly like, you know, it was a few, yeah, I, a while back it was staggering. Like. You can absolutely see the curve. Yeah, it's, it's and, and so what you're trying to find is, is inefficiencies. It's the twenty. It's like the eighty twenty rule. Let's like focus on the focus on that twenty percent. But where is the twenty percent? Is what you're trying to figure out. Yeah, and it's I can't. That's impossible to answer because you have so many raw materials they're counting yeah. right. But you just start going down the list, and you're not trying to find uh, malicious inefficiencies. It's just human nature. You go yeah. and you're like, oh, that's a, you know, there's a tenth left in that. Well, there's your one. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's this mayonnaise right here. Some people count quarters, half, three quarters full. I count tenths, yep. you know, or want to. So there's a tenth there. And so, you know, there's a tenth. Well, maybe it's not a tenth. Maybe it's really 20%. Got you. So you're trying to go down and just find those inefficiencies to keep tightening it in. Because the the adage in the restaurant business is, is if you want to create wealth, you have to do it counting your pennies. Yeah. If you if you find anybody who makes progress in connecting the dots with where Benson comes up in the restaurant, is it Benson or ben, Benford? Benford. Benford. Thank you. Um, let me know because I'd love to dive into that topic. I think it's fascinating. Well, we can do it again another time. I'd love that, man. I'd love that. And this is the last question before we wrap up. Uh, it's a doozy, so get ready for it. I get a lot of head shakes at this one, so prepare yourself. Uh, if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? That's a tough one. Do all the little things. One. Um, smile and be very, very, very nice with your customer base. Two. And treat your people better than you treat yourself. Three. I've loved this conversation, Pat. Uh, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who is somebody that you respect and admire in this industry and you believe would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today? A guest mentor for me or a guest mentor for, for the show, for like what, what you're doing, somebody to sit in your seat right now, who's somebody that you would respect and admire and listen to the episode if I got them on the show. Call them out to be a future guest on the show. Uh, there's a lot of those, man. Um, there is a lot of those. I would uh, I'd probably say Billy Durney. 
I'd say Billy or maybe Sam Jones. Uh, Billy, Sam, look out. I'm coming after you. Yeah. Is there more? I mean, no, the, there's more. I mean, this is how I find my future guests. It makes my job easier, and there's a, a filter to keep, to keep the good people on the show. Is it just barbecue people? Or? No, it's everybody. It's the world of hospitality and restaurants. Oh, gosh. That's a, I could, I mean, uh, I, there are so many names now, I can't even freaking think of all the names. But, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of young guys I'm trying to work with. You know, they're the ones who are stepping on the brake or the gas, but they know I'm here yeah. to help them in any way. I have no secrets. And, um, you know, I would, I would definitely say like an Elliot Moss over in North Carolina. I don't work with Elliot that much, but like Zach Parker back in West Tennessee and Matt Horn out in Oakland. I mean, you know. you've already been so generous with the names. That's a lot of names. Uh, so thank you very much for sharing those names. We'll look into those folks, try to get them on the show. And, uh, how can we connect with you? If we were inspired by your story, if we are interested in, in barbecue whole hog specifically, and we want to come join your team. You're, you're growing right now. What's the best way to connect? For a job? Yeah, for a future. Go online and fill out an application. We're looking for them. And that's your website, which I believe. That's usually code for I really don't care if you average it, but that's not true. In restaurants, (laughs) it has to start with an application process. You have to feed them into the funnel, um, for sure. I understand the process, right? The game of business. So that's Martin's Barbecue. So Martin's uh, Martin's Barbecue Joint.com. BBQ Joint.com to find it. And I think there might be a way for you guys to connect right there on the or site. you can go on uh, instagram uh, mine is pitmaster pat or you can go to martin's bbq yeah beautiful and send a direct message pat thank you so much man it's oh, been a, it's been a pleasure yeah, i appreciate you uh, and i know you're in pain right now so i really do appreciate you coming out on uh, a rainy uh, morning to be here to share your story to share your knowledge there is no questioning you are unstoppable i appreciate it cheers thank you thanks Well, there we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks again to Pat Martin for coming on, sharing your knowledge, and uh, just taking an interest in Restaurant Unstoppable and what we're doing. I love that we're getting to the point now where people are are finding the show and uh, trying to get on and it's just amazing it's the ultimate compliment that people are seeing what i'm doing with trying to change the industry the the values of the industry of sharing knowledge and coming together to go further together and to, to recognize that it's our obligation to pay it forward with our information our knowledge if we can be generous with our knowledge the impact we can have the things we can do not just in our industry but in the world uh you know not just sharing knowledge about business but values and philosophies and virtues on how to be better people um i mean that's definitely coming out in the show in every episode uh pat you're just another shining example of that and i love this mentality of just starting where you can and following your passion and knowing that it's never too late to to chase your dreams and to 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 show up every day just a little bit better and to, to get that advice to get that that mentorship where you can find it and then when when you do find these people who are willing to share their knowledge with you lean into it don't be shy go after those people talk to them as much as possible and that came out in today's conversation and now pat's doing it uh to the next generation of pitmasters and he's being rewarded because of it he's attracting onto himself amazing talent and they're up to 10 locations throughout the south so great stuff today and just a reminder guys um we are launched or we have launched restaurant unstoppable network and the, the mission behind restaurant unstoppable network is to literally connect my most uh loyal listeners with the this generations of leaders uh so to connect this generation of leaders with the next generation of leaders is what we're doing over in the network and uh, when you join the network uh, if you reach out to me if you shoot me an email right now i will send you a link 
for one year free. Right now, it's more important to me that I just get good, passionate people in this network because, you know, it, it takes people to build a community. And um, I really believe in what we're trying to do here. I would love for you to be a part of it. So shoot me an email, eric at restaurantstoppable.com, uh, and I will shoot you a link for 12 months uh, free to get into the network, to join the conversation, and to literally connect with my guests and my network of experts. All right, guys, we'll see you in the network. And until next time, peace out. Out.